been hated. It's a strong word, isn't it? Hated. Have you ever been hated? Or perhaps um, you've felt hatred towards someone else. Uh, Hatred is a, a very strong emotion that so much detests something or someone that it just wants them done away with or hurt. Hatred is very strong, isn't it? Uh, Over the next two weeks, we're thinking um, again um, about Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection like we have been over Easter. Uh, And um, today we're thinking about Jesus' death again. And I want to just, as we think about it from John's Gospel, look at two things. Firstly, as we look at the cross, what we learn about ourselves, almost as if we're looking in a mirror. And it's reflecting back to us something about what it means to be human. But then um, also as we look at the cross this morning, I want to, like perhaps those two-way mirrors at the supermarket where you can see your reflection, but if you look hard you can look through them to the other side. I want to spend some time looking behind the cross uh, to the God who's behind it and see what we learn about him. And um, as as we'll see, um, John clearly wants us to see, that when we understand the hatred of the world towards God, then there we'll see most clearly the love of God towards the world. So open your Bibles with me, uh, if you haven't already, to John chapter 15 and verse 18, where we find those words of Jesus to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. This is a private conversation between Jesus and his disciples just moments before he's arrested and then sentenced to death. And as Jesus heads towards his death, he wants his disciples to be in no doubt as to why he's being crucified. See, this is not an accident. Jesus says, this world hates me. Now, um, they're very strong words, aren't they, that the world hates Jesus? And uh, my first uh, reaction was, well, is it really the whole world that hates Jesus? It's not uh, me that crucified Jesus. It's not the whole world. We weren't there to kind of vote on it. And um, yeah, Jesus understands that because over in verse 25, at the end of this passage, he says, this is to fulfill what is written in their law. And he's talking about the Jewish law. They hated me without reason. So yes, in one sense, this was the hatred of the people involved in those circumstances and the Jewish leaders of the day. But there's a sense in which Jesus wants us to understand that the crucifixion of himself describes the attitude of the whole world towards God. That's what Jesus is getting at in verse 18. So it's it's not as if generally this world is for God and this was a bad day for humanity. It's not just like this is a blip on the radar, the exception to the rule, but normally we all love God. See, as we read through the Bible, sadly... This is the normal response of the world to God. So right back in the start, Genesis 2. Even before there's anything wrong with the world, Adam and Eve rebel against God. They disobey God. They hide from God. And then in the next four chapters of Genesis, the human race descends into wickedness so bad that in Genesis um, chapter 6, verse 6, God says that he's grieved that he's made man. So, so great has man's wickedness become. 
And um, every inclination of man is evil all the time. And that attitude just continues on. Uh, Page after page in the Bible. And I think it's probably best summed up in Psalm 2, where uh, King David describes the hatred of the whole world to God. Uh, This is what King David writes in Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say. See, the world is pictured there. The world wants nothing more than to break free of the rule of God. See, having God as king, that's like being in chains. Set us free, says the world. Hatred of God, it's been the attitude of humans since we were first created. But in these events of Easter, we see it come to a climax, don't we? We see the hostile crowds shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And then uh, after uh, shouting and shouting, there's those awful words in Luke's gospel where, where Luke says, Pilate surrendered Jesus to their will. To the will of this God-hating world, Pilate hands Jesus over to them. And so that's what Jesus is talking about when he says here in John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Jesus is deliberately using strong language. It's not that just that the world is indifferent to Jesus, we don't care about Jesus. It's not just that the world doesn't know Jesus properly, the world hates Jesus. And the reason is because he reveals God. So if it wasn't for Jesus, perhaps people could say, I don't know about God. You know, hypothetically, if Jesus hadn't walked this planet, people could say, well, I can ignore God because I don't know enough about him. I'm agnostic, can't tell either way. But that's not an option anymore. That's what John's getting at in verse 22. Jesus has come and that changes things. Look at John uh, 15, 22. Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles and yet, They've hated both me and my father. Uh, You might have a a favourite musician that you really love. Let's just say uh, your favourite musician is Slim Dusty. Oh, fantastic. I didn't have a Slim Dusty fan in early church. (laughs) Now, let me say, just for the sake of this uh, little exercise, I've never heard of Slim Dusty. Don't know who he is. Don't know if he's a country and western singer or a heavy metal singer. (laughs) But you're a Slim Dusty fan and all you ever talk about is Slim Dusty. Slim Dusty this, Slim Dusty that, Slim Dusty's favourite new album. Slim Dusty's a wonderful singer. Me, I don't know any better. Um, I put up with it all but, you know, I couldn't say I like him but I couldn't say I hate him. I've never heard him sing. But that all changes one day when Kathy lends me her Slim Dusty CD or she takes me to a Slim Dusty concert and suddenly I'm not ignorant anymore 
In fact, now I hate Slim Dusty. <laughs> Everything about him I don't like. I don't like his music. I don't like the way he dresses. I don't like the words of his songs. I hate Slim Dusty. I don't want to hear another word from the mouth of Slim Dusty. In fact, our friendship will end unless you stop talking about Slim Dusty. Now, I've gone from ignorance, I don't know, to hatred, because now I know and what I see I don't like. Now, that's not um, true about Slim Dusty. I don't hate Slim Dusty. But John is saying here that we can't have an attitude to God of indifference, uh, as if we don't know what God is like, because Jesus has made clear to everyone what God is like. Jesus has revealed the Father. It's just that a lot of people don't like it. See, verse 22, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. In um, verse 22, when it says, um, If I had not come, they would not be guilty of sin. It's not saying that if Jesus didn't come, the world wouldn't be sinners. I mean, we saw that Genesis 2, Genesis 6, Psalm 2. We all do wrong. John is talking about the particular evil here of rejecting Jesus and nailing him to the cross. See, if Jesus had done, if Jesus um, had just claimed to be God but not backed it up, then they wouldn't be guilty of sin, would they? But Jesus has done nothing but prove who he is. He's spoken the words of the Father. He's done works, miracles to show that he's from God. And what are they doing? They're rejecting him and nailing him to a cross. That is inexcusable. It's clear who Jesus is. They are without excuse. Verse 24, If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. See, the crucifixion of Jesus is not a blind act. It's the deliberate expression of the world's hatred to God. Now, I think that begs the question, doesn't it? Why do people hate God? I mean, you would kind of think that if there is a God and he made this world, people would kind of like him. What is it about God that will take religious leaders and turn them into murderers? What is it about God that will take two enemies, Herod and Pontius Pilate, and for the first time unite them in their stand against Jesus? What is it about God that people hate him so much? Well, the answer is that he's God. And we don't want God. We don't want someone else who calls the shot in our life. Can you imagine someone who's based their whole life on themselves? Okay? Their whole life is based around what doing, doing what they want. Their values are based around what works for them. Their attitudes are shaped by the world around them that hates God. The way they treat women. The way they treat men. The way they handle their money, their career choice, what they watch on TV. All of it is made without reference to God, what suits me? Such a person is not easily going to welcome the message that God needs to be at the centre of their life. There'll be a lot of changes that need to be made. Jesus comes into a world full of people just like that, 
people who are happy to have a man-made religion as long as there's nothing to do with God in it. And Jesus doesn't have to dig very far into our lives, does he, before he finds things that need changing. In fact, you only have to start scratching the surface and we're confronted by our sin. And so what's our natural inclination? It's to run away from God, to, to hide from God. In John chapter 3, um, John puts it like this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, that's Jesus, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Or over in John 7, a very similar thing, uh, where Jesus says to his family, the world hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. See, Jesus brings light. People prefer darkness. This is not a picture of the human race uh, groping around in the darkness, trying to find God, you know, trying to go towards the light. Uh, This is not like me in the middle of the night uh, trying to find my way to the bathroom where I would welcome any light. I'm just trying to have some light so I can find my way. See, the world's not like that. The world is trying to avoid the light. The world is in darkness trying to keep the light out. This is more like me on a Monday morning, 7 o'clock. I want to sleep in. And the light is just shining in like a beam in the bedroom window through the gap in the curtain. And all I want is darkness. So I get up and shut the curtain and put the pillow on my head. And if Jill turns the light on, I turn it off again. All I want is darkness. This is like the little boy in the bedroom with the light off. And he's scribbling all over the walls with texture. And then his mum comes in and turns the light on. And everything is revealed. See, the world does not want the light. This is a picture of the world trying to snuff out the candle, close its eyes to God, silence Jesus forever by nailing him to a cross. But I don't want to just uh, have today all doom and gloom. Because um, don't just want to look at the cross and see what it teaches us about our world. It is a very dark picture, isn't it, that uh, the whole of humanity can be combined in hatred towards God. But what do we see when we look at the God who is behind the cross? What do we look? What do we see in the, in uh, God's actions of the cross? If love is what's doing, uh, what, doing what's best for someone else, whatever the cost, if love is doing what's best for someone else, whatever the cost, then there could be no greater act of love than this. When God gave his own son to rescue us, when Jesus, as he approaches his death, like we saw last week, prays even for the forgiveness of the very people who crucify him. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, 
though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. In other words, sometimes we do uh, loving acts for people that we love, don't we, for good people. But that's not what's happening here. Look at verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see what that passage is saying? It's staggering, really. The very world that God gave his son for is the world that hates him. See, God's love is not just for good people. God loves the very people who nailed his son to the cross. It's the same world in John 15 where where, uh, Jesus says, the world hates me. It's the same world that in John 3.16, God says, uh, John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, that one one, uh, action of the crucifixion of Jesus at the same time shows us the world's hatred of God and yet God's love for us. Paul goes on to say, in fact, a little later in Romans chapter 5, if that is what we were, if we were sinners, if we were God-haters, and that's what God did for us, if that's how God treats people who hate him, gives his son for them, well, imagine what's in store for us now that we're his. If that's how God treats his enemies, imagine how God will treat his friends in the future. So uh, we always have uh, visitors here in the school holidays, um, and I don't know where you are at with your relationship with God. How will you respond to the light? Maybe you're in the darkness, and uh, you're still living in that hatred of God, trying to avoid the light, whatever the cost. Or maybe you're thinking about coming to Jesus, asking him to forgive you, submitting to him whatever the cost, even if it'll mean the world will hate you for it. So there's two responses to Jesus, isn't there? There's accept his offer of forgiveness, have a change of life, or there's continued opposition and hatred to God. You're either for Jesus or you're against him. And if you think you're indifferent, then you haven't understood who Jesus is, haven't seen him clearly. Uh, But I want to end by addressing uh, Christians here this morning because the sting in these verses for us is that Jesus says that the same hostility that the world showed to him on the cross will continue and will be showed to us. So the next step in John's argument is that Christians will be hated too. Because if people hate Jesus, then people will hate anyone who brings the message of Jesus. Look at John 15 verse 18 again. If the world hates you, the followers of Jesus, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you? No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Not very comfortable words, are they? Back in the late uh, 1960s, Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones visited Australia. Any Mick Jagger fans? No, Slim Dusty wins. Mick Jagger uh, was interviewed on a Melbourne radio station and he said in the interview, Jesus Christ was fantastic, 
It's the church I don't like. Maybe you've heard a comment like that, you know. Jesus is okay. It's Christians I can't stand. Now, that wouldn't be so bad if it was true. I mean, I could put up with people hating me if they loved God. I mean, there's plenty of reasons for people to hate me. But the problem is this world doesn't love Jesus and hate Christians. Jesus says this world hates Christians because it hates Jesus. So as Christians, there's lots of things that we can do that people won't hate us for. Lots of things that we can do that people will love us for. You know, helping out on school working bees. Um, People are not going to hate us for being a good employee. People are not going to hate us when we help them out. And as Christians, we're called to do all those things, aren't we? We're not going to be hated by the world, though, when we keep quiet. We're not going to be hated by the world if we keep our Christianity to ourselves. We're not going to be hated if we disguise our Christianity. We're not going to be hated if we water down who Jesus is and don't say things that will offend people. See, people don't hate a tolerant Jesus who will accept uh, anyone. People don't hate a social justice Jesus who's just concerned with helping people. People don't hate a meek and mild Jesus who welcomes children, a loving Jesus who doesn't talk about judgment. Problem is, that's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus called people to repent. The real Jesus confronted people about their ignoring of God and he made claims on people's lives that he is king. People hated the real Jesus when he walked the earth and they hate him today. So what kind of ambassador are you for Jesus? Do you represent the real Jesus to your friends and family? Or have you become a little quiet about um, the uncomfortable things? Have you become too comfortable to speak out? Do you let the opportunity to challenge people just slip comfortably by because you might upset people? If we start talking about the Son of God dying for our sin, if we start talking about being deserving of God's judgment, that's not what the world wants to hear. People will hate us for it. So will you dare to talk to people about the real Jesus? If you do, then take comfort from this warning from Jesus. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Let's pray.